your life and it's ending one minute at a time. I was blind, but now I see. Working jobs we hate, so we can buy shit we don't need. Ideas are breakthrough. If you had one shot, everything I'd ever read, heard, seen was now organized and available. Now you fucking khakis. Life moves pretty fast. The Biohacking Secret Show. In today's episode, I sit down with renegade strength and conditioning expert Jay Ferruja, who cuts through what he refers to as the, and I quote, bullshit typical training and nutrition advice being espoused all over the internet, end quote, to get to the pure essentials. Jay is the creator of the renegade method of training and motivation, which has been featured in Muscle and Fitness, Men's Health, ESPN, The Huffington Post, and more. And he's been coaching average Joes and hard gainers alike for over 20 years in how to overcome their challenges and permanently transform their physical and mental states. In today's episode, Jason shares over 20 years of his in-the-trenches, world-class knowledge about how to build strength and exercise safer with longevity in mind, as well as common mistakes he's made, mistakes his clients have made, and all of the above so that you can learn from them. In the words of Mark Twain, it's not what you don't know that gets you in trouble. It's what you know for sure that just ain't so. And we'll see that to be just as true in today's episode. We talk about the most important law in strength and conditioning if you'd like to see continuous improvement and the daily habits that have enabled Jason to transform his physical and mental health, create a seven-figure health and fitness business, and achieve the entrepreneurial dream. So without further ado, please sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with Jason Ferruja. Hey everyone, I know you'll enjoy the interview. If you'd like to learn more of my top biohacking secrets, get a free copy of my best-selling book called The Biohacker's Guide to Upgraded Energy and Focus for free at biohackersguide.com. It's over 500 pages of my top biohacks and I'll send it to you for free if you cover a small shipping cost. Get your free copy at biohackersguide.com. All right, Jason, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. <laughs> You've got a pretty cool story. Can you share with us how you got into health and fitness and then even more specifically how you went from being broke, living in your mom's basement to living an enviable lifestyle today in, in Santa Monica? Sure. So, so long story short, I was, I was the skinny kid, weak, uh, insecure, quiet, shy. And I grew up in the 80s and 90s when, uh, you know, Sly Stallone and Schwarzenegger were on the big screen all the time. And I was obsessed with pro wrestling. So I wanted to look like those guys. And my cousin was dating a pro wrestler at the time in around 1987 or so I started training. And he got me into it. And I started doing kind of, he, he wrote me a program, which was not, didn't really do anything for me. It was like a seven day a week, two hour kind of bodybuilding program. It was not what a beginner with crappy genetics should be doing. But anyway, that was how I got started into it. And then it kind of just became an obsession and I got more and more into it all through high school and college. And uh, finally, through a lot of trial and error and reading and certifications and interning with people, I kind of find out, found out what works for you know drug-free, genetically average or below average, in my case, guys who just don't build muscle easily. So I was able, I mean, first five years, I got basically nowhere. I graduated high school at six foot, weighing 147 pounds. And then, you know, I, I found a lot of different stuff that helped me out. Dorian Yates was a big influence. Westside and Louis Simmons was a big influence. Uh, and then I kind of just, you know, used that to formulate my own system and eventually got up to uh, 220 plus pounds. 
And then uh, I, I started my own training business when I was 19 while I was still going to school. And, you know, things just took off very rapidly for me. And I, before I knew it, within a couple of years, I was training a ton of college and uh, high school athletes. And I started getting some pro guys and I was just booked. And then it was the next 12 years, 12 hours a day, nonstop. Business was awesome. But during that time, I didn't really have anyone there in my life kind of guiding me and telling me the right things to do. So I blew a lot of my money. I actually blew all of my money, so much so that when I was, in, I was uh, 31 years old and I'd been running, I basically started making six figures right away. I started training people out when I was 19 and by 20 or 21, I was, I was making six figures. So I did that up until the time I was 31. And just through a lot of bad habits and lifestyle choices and whatnot, I, uh, I ended up completely broke. So I had to call my mom with tears in my eyes and explain the situation to her. And she kind of knew it. You know, she, she had said to me throughout the years, well, you, you know, watch what you're doing. Watch, watch how you're spending your money. You got to save money. But I just ignored it. I just I wanted to have fun. And around that time, my other friends weren't making that kind of money. So it was... I just always, everything was on me. I paid for everything. And then uh, that's how I ended up there in that situation. Then I just made a vow that that was never going to happen again. So I stayed there in her basement for the next six plus months, just working you know, my ass off around the clock. And that was when I really focused on my online business around 2006 and was able to build up, again, build up another successful training. Business. I mean, the training business never really fell off, but uh, it fell off a little bit because I was kind of partying too much and doing other things. But I rebuilt the training business to a very successful level, and then I was able to uh, really build up the online business to where it just grew year after year exponentially to the point we're at now. And then I moved out of Jersey and moved out to the beach in Southern California, which is where I'm at today. Very cool. Uh, you talked about something there that, that's kind of interesting. You mentioned some of the bad habits and, and lifestyle choices that kind of resulted and you ended up in your mom's basement. And one of the things that I really respect about you and learned a tremendous amount from you at your breakthrough event was the power of putting together the right lifestyle habits that, that move you towards your goals. Can you contrast where your habits were back when you considered them to be bad and then the role that, uh, that that you believe habits to play in one's success. Yeah, it's it's funny. Back then, I kind of just lived a life not really considering that I could do anything to make my existence better. I would just get up, go to work, hustle, and whatever I needed to make myself feel better, I would do without giving it any thought. I never really thought about reading books that would make me better or or implementing success habits, or cutting out the negative people in my life. I kind of just was almost wearing blinders to all that stuff. So, you know, addiction is in my family, uh, alcoholism, a lot of different weird kind of problems in my family that I was falling into. And again, I just, I, I had a, you know, my parents got divorced the week before freshman year of high school, and I, I had a lot of anger over that, and I had a lot of resentment towards my dad. And I, I never really got over that until later in life. I, I just took that with me, and I didn't really know it at the time. But I was, I guess, just you know, partying a lot, 
it's funny because I didn't party that much in high school or college. I, I didn't even drink until uh, senior year, the end of senior year. And then for a little bit during college, I didn't drink that much, mainly because I was so focused on my training. And then there was a point where in my mid-20s, I just realized that, man, I missed out on all that. And then I just started to really let it rip. And because of addiction in my family and how much we like to party and whatnot, it definitely was a slippery slope where I got out of control. And, you know, I was, I was just, I wasn't with people, when I said I was around the wrong people, I wasn't with crack dealers and murderers and whatnot, but definitely not the, the quality people that were bringing me up to their level in any way. It was people who maybe I was enabling or they were, they were enabling me and they were always complaining, they were always negative and no one would ever say to me, you know, if I said, oh, I'll get us a suite. At, uh, in Vegas and pay for it, no one would ever say anything about it. They would just let me do it. So, you know, I used to joke around that I was like MC Hammer, obviously, at a whole different financial bracket. But Are you rocking you know, the I, pants I did, too? Yeah, I, I actually did. I, I did. <laughs> yeah. But uh, so, so that was my thing. It's just uh, money bolt burned a hole in my pocket and I, I couldn't get rid of it fast enough. And I just loved to party. And, and then, you know, nowadays, and I don't know, I can't pinpoint the exact time when it happened when I finally realized there's got to be a better way and there's got to be steps I can take to make myself better. So I just started, you know, the first thing I had to do was get out of Jersey. And, and I started on this path and I was still in Jersey, but I've been gone five years. And people always say that you can't run away from your problems, you can't move somewhere else and reinvent yourself. But I disagree with that. If, if you're stuck in a world where you grew up in the town where everybody knows you a certain way for your whole life. And maybe you're just surrounded by negative people and negative memories and negative thoughts. You can get away from that and start over. And I recommend it. And Henry, Henry Rollins has a great quote about, about moving out of the town that makes you miserable. Or you know, I can't think of it off the top of my head. But uh, So, so get, getting away was, was huge for me and just leaving the negative people behind and just seeking out people that I wanted to be like and that I wanted to surround myself with. And then getting into reading, where early the only thing was about training, and then eventually it was about business. But I finally started reading stuff about personal development and mindset, and, and even things like reading the, the Tao Te Ching, or the Book of Five Rings, or the Four Agreements, or Seneca, or Marcus Aurelius, things like that, Bruce Lee, meditating, that kind of stuff is, is what made a huge difference in my life. And, you know, you can say just choose to be happy, but it's hard to do that because there's a lot of things weighing you down and you can't really choose to be happy until you eliminate all that stuff. You take the positives, you take the steps to eliminate that negative stuff and, and cut out what's meaningless in your life. And, and then you can kind of choose to be happy. Yeah, absolutely. Was there, was there a specific event that precipitated those changes? Was it the move? Was it a book you were exposed to? Was there, was there a, mere, a period where you just felt like you hit rock bottom? What really sparked that change? What a lot of people didn't know because I didn't publicize it as much is after the move in with, with my mom in 2006, I built the business up and things were going great and I was happier than I'd been, but I was still just looking towards money to make me happy and for being bigger and stronger, because that was one thing I was always so insecure as a kid was being weak and skinny to make me happy. And neither of those things really did. You know, the, the, the money wasn't making me as happy as I thought. I mean, sure, 
you know, being in a certain financial situation and not having to worry about money anymore definitely alleviates stress and can make you happier, but only up to a certain point, then it really doesn't do anything. And uh, I just realized there, there had to be more to it. And then what I was saying, what I didn't publicize as much is I actually let myself get to the point where I was just about broke again. So after I built up another highly successful six-figure business, a few years later, I still had all the bad habits and was still blowing all my money and just doing way too much stuff and was out of control. And it was kind of just like a wake up. Like I said to myself when I moved into my mom's that time, this was never going to happen again. And lo and behold, it happened, almost happened again. It wasn't quite as bad that time. But at that point, I was making more money. And so it was just unacceptable to me. So I said, all right, I got to really have a long sit down with myself and figure out why I keep doing this and, and what is wrong. I have notebooks that I go through all the time and I just write down ideas and I write down things that I want out of life and things I don't want. So I just made a list of the things that I really wanted and what was important and then I forced myself to do an 80-20 evaluation on that and cut out 80% of it and just focus on the 20% and then get rid of all the negative stuff. And like I said, moving out of out of Jersey and out, out, out here to Cali made a big difference and then I just did what other successful people do. Friends of mine like Craig Ballantyne, Bedros Koulian, Alan Cosgrove, uh, some other friends that aren't in the fitness industry. Just look to those guys who were living life the way I wanted to and what do they do? Okay, they, they meditate. They have morning routines. They read these certain books. If those guys who are doing better than I am are going to recommend a book to me, I'm going to read it. And I just started taking those steps and, it, and finally, finally something clicked and, and, and it made a big difference. Awesome. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you too about it's not necessarily running away from your problems when you move. But for me, you know, in high school, I was I was decent at, at soccer and stuff, but I was a pretty shy kid, relatively mm -hmm. quiet, and I wanted to be more outgoing. But I felt like in my hometown where I'd grown up, it was like my identity was so firmly established that right. maybe it was just for me, but I felt like I didn't have the freedom to do it. The, the permission. But when I went away to college and I was, it, it was like starting over, it was new people. And yeah, some people from my high school went there, but I gave myself permission to be more outgoing and push myself in ways that I didn't in, in high school. And it did make a difference. It wasn't like I was running away from the old me, but sometimes we just need that little bit of a change of scenery to, especially if we know what changes we're looking to implement in our life. So yeah, I, yeah, absolutely. It's just a, it's just a chance at a fresh start. I, I agree with you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You'd mentioned some of some of the books that um, that are your your go tos. If someone was listening and, and maybe they weren't a big reader uh, in, in a similar position to where you were twenty years ago, and, and they were to start with three books that that you think everyone should read, uh, what would they? What would those three books be? Definitely, how to win friends and influence people. <clears throat> I really like, they're basically the same book, but you, you get a lot from reading both of them. So I'm going to cheat and put these as, as one. Essentialism and The One Thing are awesome books because I'm a huge believer in the 80-20 rule and really identifying what's important. So pick one of those two or read them both. And pick one more. You know, I, I, my, my friend Mike DeSani bought me a copy of the Tao Te Ching a few years back and I read a passage from it every morning and I, I really do like that. It, and it's super simple to read. I mean, it's, it's 81 
81 sonnets or something. I, I don't know what, what, what you call those. Right, right. Yeah, uh, 81 passages. And they're super short. They're a paragraph or three at the most. And, you know, you can read them in two seconds. But uh, that, that's a really good book to have and just refer to on a daily basis because it was written hundreds of years ago. But everything he's saying relates to the problems in the world we live in today. And you'll just be nodding your head or shaking your head at, you know, the stuff we do or don't do. So I, I really love that book. Yeah, yeah, me too. I picked that up after your suggestion back at back at the breakthrough event, and I think it was October. I have like a very small; uh, it's almost like a pocket version, and then I got oh, the yeah. the audio book. And it's the rule is just whenever I'm over and I look at if my eyes look in the direction of the Tao Te Ching, I have to pick it up and just read a passage. And, oh, nice. um, it, it always gets you thinking. And just exposing yourself to even a quote or a small passage like that, I found to be pretty helpful. So I appreciate that su- that suggestion from you. Oh, I'm glad you found it valuable. <laughs> what's uh, what's your morning routine like? What are your um, what are your non negotiable success habits that you try to get in every day? Meditation first and foremost. I so I do that when I first get up, and then I write in a a success gratitude journal which I, I've trimmed down. I make that pretty quick now because a lot of people take on a morning routine and it becomes overwhelming. So I basically, I have a minimum where I write down at least three things and no more than five things that I'm grateful for. So it could be that I had a great time surfing. Uh, I had a great conversation with a guy in the line at Whole Foods. Uh, that Jen made an amazing dinner. You know, a- anything simple like that. It doesn't have to be that I won the lottery or that something amazing happened. It's just look, look at the simple things. And so I write down those things. I write down the names of people that I'm grateful for. What I found was that was becoming a mindless exercise where I could write down the same 12 names of people (laughs) every single day. Now I force myself to write down three new names. So for example, this morning I wrote down the name of a guy who lives in our building that I rode the elevator with yesterday because we had a great conversation and he, he, uh, he helped me out with a connection and then, you know, I, I sit there and think about who else besides my normal circle of people to write in there. So after I write down the names of people I'm grateful for, that's about it. I, if I want to write down uh, any ideas, I'll write those down in the morning too. Sometimes just do, I, I often wake up with ideas. So I don't force myself to do it because, again, I didn't want to make my morning routine too long. But if I have ideas that are just waiting to get out, I want to make sure I don't forget them, I'll write those. And then I got away from those huge to-do lists because I, I found that those were just an albatross around your neck. So I'll write two to three most important tasks that I need to get done today. And then the other stuff, you know, if it's important, I'm not going to forget it. I just having it written on a to-do list, I, I find just becomes very annoying and, and drains you a little bit. So I only write down two to three things that need to get done. And then after that, my main focus currently is breathing properly. So... Um. I ignored that for so many years, and when I finally focused on it, I learned that most, like most people, I was breathing improperly, and that was having a huge detrimental effect on me. Uh, so I, I took a breathing workshop with, with a friend of mine, Dr. Belisa Vranich, about six weeks ago, and since then, I've been really dedicated, whereas normally, I would go into my most important task and start working. Now, I get in 30 minutes of, bre- of breath work in the morning. 30 minutes? Work. Yeah. That's intense. What what does that look like? So I'll do, first of all, I'll just start with regular crocodile breathing, which is where you just lay face down and you just take a deep belly breath. And if, if someone was looking at you, you should see your, your lower back and 
and your whole rib cage and everything kind of comes up and expands. I'll do that, then I'll flip over and I'll put a 26 pound kettlebell on my lower abdomen and breathe into that and try to move that as much as I can up and down. Then I'll do some cat camel breathing in both directions. Um, and then we do exhale pulsations, which are just basically, you just, it's, it's kind of like, like you just take a really quick breath and powerfully exhale rapidly. And you, you want to do, she says that a good number is 500 straight, which is brutal. I think I got to maybe a hundred straight. Uh, so we do that. I'm trying to think what, what are some of the other ones we it's, do. It's inhale and exhale or are there multiple exhales in, in succession? It's just it's just as many exhales as you can in a row. So you just basically five hundred. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's crazy, and and your abs obviously get quite a workout from doing that. They, they get sore. Wow. So so those are the main ones. There there are a few other ones, and then what I'll also do is to kind of kill two birds with one stone. When I'm doing the crocodile breathing, I'll take Jill Miller's. Gorgeous ball. Jill Miller from Yoga Tune Up has this gorgeous ball, which I'll lay that down on the floor and just kind of put that in, in different areas on my abdominal region. Just do some global gut smashing while I'm, while I'm breathing into that. And then I'll kind of break up some some tightness in there. Yeah, those those are the main ones. There are a few other ones that are would be really hard to describe unless you see them. But I spent thirty minutes doing that, and then I'm off to my uh, my other most important task. And and since for the last two months, my morning routine's changed a bit where we have a dog now, so I always take him out for a 30 to 45-minute walk it's after I do that stuff. So it's meditate, gratitude journal, breath work. Then I take Bronx out for a walk, and, and during that time, I'll usually just listen to uh, podcasts. Ah, very cool. What, what kind of dog did you get? He's a mix between a pit bull and a vishla, and he might be a third thing. He's a rescue. They didn't know 100%. Very cool. Uh, I've, I've been looking at dogs. Two of the guys in my building, one just got a baby French bulldog. That's like <laughs> the cutest thing I've ever seen. And then another guy just got a baby like, I don't know, it's like a Cocker Spaniel poodle mix. And it's, it's adorable. I don't, I don't have much room for a dog right now. I have to get a bigger place. But it's, uh, yeah, every, every time you tell someone you're thinking about getting a dog, they're like, get a rescue, get a rescue. And I'm like, do you have a rescue? And they're like, no. <laughs> but you should get one. <laughs> so it's yeah. cool that you actually got a rescue. Yeah, yeah. And he, he's amazing. It's definitely been life-changing. I wouldn't have thought it that way. I had often heard from dog because I never owned a dog my whole life. I've often heard from dog owners about how it changes your life and how much happier it makes you and, and the stress-relieving benefits of it and the fact that you could love a dog so much. I just never honestly would have believed it until now. I mean, I, the way he'll look at me sometimes, like it, it honestly – like it, it hurts my heart and it's like, I just, I'm upset. Jen and I are obsessed with the dog. It's, it's made a huge difference in our life. So, uh, super cool. It, it's, it's funny. I was exposed to Wim Hof breathing when I was, when I was out there with you in California and then actually interviewed him last week on, oh, very uh, cool. on his, on his technique. Do you incorporate any of that into your breath work? You know, I haven't. I, I was doing a little bit of that with. Uh, you're, you're, I guess you're referring to when Dr. Trish was doing some of that stuff with us. Right. I was doing a little bit of that, but for some reason, uh, you know, I'm just as guilty as anybody. I, I like doing, I like tr training hard and running sprints. And when it comes to stuff that's going to make you better, 
that's not the high intensity stuff that's you know mobility work or stretching or breathing I tend to fall off uh, my, you know I don't tend to keep those habits as well so I fell off a little bit but since it was my friend and, and she uh, she personally put this whole thing together for me and came over and worked with me and I went to a few of her workshops I've been dedicated to it now and I, I know that I'm going to stick with it because I already see the difference that it's making that, that was my next question. What differences have you noticed? I'm less stressed, and I also notice that my lower back feels a lot better, and I've been able to do things in the gym. Uh, you know, I, I always kind of jump the gun. I, I should wait a little bit longer, but I tried doing a few exercises, a few things that I haven't been able to do for a long time because of back pain, and I'm actually able to do now. So, and I, you know, I'm probably sleeping a little bit better as well. Because what, what happens was, for, for people listening who don't know, is if, if you're a chest breather and you're always just shrugging and your shoulders are up all, all day, that's super stressful and you're basically in fight or flight mode and you're producing way too much cortisol. So you, you may notice, not that it's, it's miraculous, but if you produce a lot of cortisol, you're going to have a harder time losing lower abdominal fat. And if you, it's crazy to say, but if you just learn to breathe properly – and you can fix all that and not be in that fight or, uh, fight or flight mode, that high stress mode all day, you may end up actually losing a little bit more lower abdominal fat and you're just going to feel better. Your, your posture is going to get better. You're not going to have as much upper back or neck pain because you're not walking around shrugged all day. So things like that will improve. It's not going to be overnight. It takes time. It's funny. I mean, I still, even when I'm walking Bronx, which we're not going that fast, but if I have to take a deep breath, I still naturally go to that chest breath and shrug my shoulders up to my ears. I have to just be aware of taking a, a diaphragmatic breath instead. And when you're taking a diaphragmatic breath, is your belly expand? Like, so if you're walking around and you want your, let's say you're walking around shirtless at the pool and you want your abs to look good, you've kind of got everything, everything tight there and pulled in. If you're taking a true diaphragmatic breath with proper form, does your belly go out and kind of look almost preggers? Yeah, so, so it's so funny you brought that up because Jen and I, and uh, you, you remember Gary, who you met, who's yeah. part of my team? Yeah, yeah. We were all, when we were, when we were first getting into this, we were, we were all kind of laughing and saying, man, we're such meatheads, we can't even do it <laughs> because we've all had our abs braced for the last 20 plus years, yeah. <laughs> 24 hours a day, and you really have to let it go. That That's actually really bad for you. Katie Bauman talks about that, how you basically, and, and Dr. Belisa was telling me the same thing. You basically cast those muscles. They're, they're tensed up all the time. So that creates all kinds of unnatural tension and you basically create a cast on those muscles. So you're supposed to not be doing that. You, like you don't walk around – well, I do. But not everyone walks around with their biceps flexed and everything all day. Like it's really – it's not something you're supposed to do. It's very unnatural. And when you do that, it does create problems. So yes, to answer your question, you are supposed to – naturally be taking breaths like that where you, your belly is going to definitely look you know twice the size it's you're letting it hang out you can't because you can't take a diaphragmatic breath if you're doing the meathead thing where your abs are constantly braced you're you're going to be chest breathing it's really hard to do it properly yeah so yeah i've, I've found i've found the same thing and it's it's can be difficult to unlearn habits that we've basically been instilling in ourselves since puberty when we want to yeah. look good for girls. <laughs> right. You, you mentioned some of that lower back pain and um, a little bit of relief you've gotten there. And I thought it was interesting because a couple some of the breakthroughs that I've had with clients that are dealing with lower back pain have been in doing 
myofascial release work on their abdominals and really yeah. getting down into their into their stomach and like what would seem like you're digging around their organs yeah. and finding some of those fascia and, and breaking those up. It's, it's there in the glutes, like the piriformis right, and the QL. Right. There's usually a lot of, of a lot of tightness there locking things up. And people don't think that. They think their back hurts. They're they're getting back massages and um and trying to do, you know, back extensions. But what role do you think fascia in, in the glutes and the and the abdominals play for some of the back pain we're experiencing as on pretty large scale. Yeah, well, I, mean, I think you just hit on it. You covered it. And, and by the way, that is not pleasant. To no, it's terrible. That. Oh, it's awful. Like you feel like you're going to throw up. Even just low – like Jill Miller's gorgeous ball is super soft. It's basically like a ball you play kickball with as a kid and, it's, and you put it about two-thirds of the way deflated. You put it on your stomach and just roll around on it. Even that – Caused and Joe DeFranco said he experienced the same thing when he was doing it. Even that caused what seemed like sciatic pain, just shooting down both of my legs. And I thought, this is insane. So, so I just realized, like you said, most people don't realize that that's all connected. And your hip flexors, which are people think they don't, maybe they might not realize the anatomy. Your hip flexors are just in in the front of your body, but they actually connect to uh, your vertebrae in the back. So when they're tight, they pull. So when you loosen all that kind of stuff up, and the same thing you said about your glutes, that kind of stuff is what, what does make a way bigger difference, fixing that and loosening that up in back pain. But, you know, it, it's funny. Like, I, I just wouldn't have known a few years ago. Honestly, it was a revelation to me that getting in there, really doing that kind of deep gut smashing could, could alleviate back pain so much. I, I was always hip flexors and glutes. I was there, but I never really targeted the, uh, the abdominal region so much. And, and honestly, that's made a huge difference. And, and what, how do you spell the name of that Joe Miller ball that you've mentioned a couple times? It's C-O-R-E, I guess G-O-U-S. It's like gorgeous, but with a C. Okay. Yeah. And, and is that, for someone listening that's dealing with back pain, the Joe DeFranco Limber 11 is is a pretty great video and he he goes through some of this stuff with like a lacrosse ball and a foam roller but most people are, are kind of foam rolling is is the gorgeous ball would that be your one go-to device or what what's the best thing you've found for gut smashing yeah i like that ball for sure okay awesome it, awesome I, I do have the uh, I, I don't know if it's the gemini or the supernova the the I get those two confused but kelly starrett has a ball it's it's a uh, royal blue and has kind of knobs on it that one's great, but that one kills. You're better off starting with the softer one and working on that for a few months, and then you can switch over to that blue Gemini. I think it's the Gemini ball. Switch over to that one, and that one helps a lot. But at first, it's just going to hurt. Like You're not going to believe how tight everything is in there. So I, I would go with the Cordis ball. And I, I've been doing the Cordis ball consistently for uh, at least six weeks now, and that one still hurts. There's a couple areas where I can go with the, the Gemini, but – that one still hurts a little bit. So awesome, awesome. And I, I've also played around with taking a heavy kettlebell and getting on top of that on the handle part. So you've got the kettlebell just sitting there with the right. handle upright, and then but that is that is also pretty miserable. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean none of, none of the stuff that works is is fun. I, I was exposed to your blog close to a decade ago now, and a lot of what got me reading your stuff was that desire to get bigger. I was a pretty skinny kid growing up, played soccer. What would you say for someone that's looking to add some muscle, what's the Pareto 20% that's going to produce 80% of their results? There's nothing more important 
been getting stronger on big compound exercises. All the volume and the supersets and drop sets aren't going to do anything. If you just look into really 80-20, pick a handful of good exercises. So you want to look at what exercise you can basically you can use the most load on. So if we're talking about any, any particular body part, what can you use the most load on and what will allow the greatest progression? So for shoulders, you know, if you compare an, an overhead press to a lateral raise, it's pretty obvious with, with an overhead press, if you can press 135, you might be able to do a proper lateral raise with 15 or 20 pounds. And then if you can easily increase your overhead press from 135 to 180, but not easily, but over the course of a year, you could probably do that. Whereas if you're using 15s in a lateral raise in a year, Maybe you're going to do 25s. So, you know, as you get more advanced, some of those smaller isolation exercises can be useful. But if you're not at that level, nothing's more effective than, and somewhere in the range of five to 10 reps, get stronger on a few big exercises. And when you, when you use that criteria, you'll find out that there's not really that many effective exercises per body part. Like, again, with shoulders, what can you, what qualifies as something that you can use a lot of weight on and that you can make huge progressions on? over the course of 12 months, really just a few variations of overhead presses. If you look at chest, it's going to be a flatter and inclined dumbbell press, a flatter and inclined barbell press, and a dip. That's really all there is. I mean, you can do flies and cable crossovers, and, and I do love push-up variations, but in, unless you have those, those main ones covered, it's going to be a waste of time. And You know, you move on to back. Well, can you do that kind of only really chin-ups and a, a few row variations? really qualify. So you want to get strong. You don't need a ton of volume, you know, somewhere around 40 to 60 total reps per muscle group uh, at, at a workout. Train each muscle group somewhere between twice a week and once every five to seven days. Keep your workouts about 45 minutes. You don't have to do a ton of sets, maybe 12 to 15 total working sets. Don't train to failure. You can take, you know, two to five sets to failure during the course of a workout, but generally you leave one rep in the tank and just keep a training journal and try to beat those numbers when you train either by doing more weight or more reps. And don't force it. If, if days you walk into the gym, it's not there, just go in and put in the work. But whenever you can, whenever you're feeling good, definitely try to set a PR, even if it's by one extra rep or you add a, a one and a quarter plate mate to each side, something like that. that. That's what makes the biggest difference in your first few years of training. And even as you get more advanced, that still becomes important. You won't be able to progress all the time quite as much and when that's the case you simply just use a little bit more frequent rotation of exercises you expand the rep range a little bit and then you might you might bring in some secondary exercises that are not going to contribute to your size gains quite as much as, as your big pressing and squatting exercises but they'll just kind of prevent imbalances and just put a little icing on the cake basically Awesome. And what, what rest periods do you recommend during a program like that? So let's say you're, you're focused on back and, you, and your main back exercises are neutral grip chin-ups and one-arm rows and you're going to do three or four sets of each for six to ten reps. I, I would rest about 90 seconds to two minutes between. And, you know, it depends on your, your level of conditioning. If you find that you're having a huge drop-off, if you do, let's say, the 60s on a one-arm row for 10 and then you rest 90 seconds and you can only get that for five or six on the second one, then increase your rest periods. You don't want – the name of the game, if you're trying to get bigger and stronger, is to be able to use maximum load. So you don't want to turn it into a conditioning session. There, you know, Conditioning can be separate 
You can do that. You can do hit, hit kind of interval style training after your workout or on off days, do some lower intensity conditioning, but don't turn your strength training into a conditioning session. Just focus on, like I said, the progressive overload of being able to do the most weight for more reps than you did previously. Awesome. Do you have a, a program that for someone that's looking to put on size would be uh, your go-to recommendation where they can get a lot of your best tips? Yeah, we're, we're going to come out with it with a newer program sometime this year, which will be updated. And then right now I do have my membership site, which is renegadestrengthclub.com, which is where we put out our, our new program. But we'll have a new 90-day complete guide coming out sometime in the next few months. All right, fantastic. And I want to I want to be respectful of your time. I know you're a busy guy. You've got so so much great info to share. How do guys avoid the pitfall that many of us fall into? I think we've all been there where we try to put on size and then we we are successful with that, but then we also put on fat. And then we try to cut and we get lean, but then we lose that size. It's you've created some strategies for finding that balance where you're getting bigger but also maintaining leanness. Um what are what are some recommendations there? Yeah, that, that's a good question because everybody goes through that, and you, you don't really have to go through that. Back in the days, I used to think you just had to eat five thousand to six thousand calories a day and get humongous. But as I'm sure you've, you've experienced, and many people experience, when you do that old school bulking up, you tend to when you come back down, you don't end up keeping that much muscle. You almost end up the same size. Now that's that being said, there is something if you're younger and you do stay lean, you can get away with it. And ultimately, you're going to have to get a little bit fatter. You can't stay 8% body fat year-round and make huge muscle gains. But you need less calories, fewer calories than I used to think. So if you, if you start with a baseline of, of an average of one gram per, protein, per pound of protein a day, which I, I don't believe you need more than that, carbs, depending on your body fat level and activity level, Intolerance to them will be around, if you're trying to gain muscle, 1.5 to 3 grams per day. I'm capping at that. And then you're just going to keep enough fats in there for hormone optimization, which are probably about 0.4 grams per pound of body weight is enough for most people. What happens is people often get fat when they add too many carbs in because they don't track their fat grams. So you can't do high carbs. People say, oh, I can't do high carbs or I can't tolerate carbs. But it's because you're also having 150 plus grams of fat a day. If you're putting butter any, in their coffee. <laughs> exactly. You're putting butter in your coffee and you're just not counting things up. I mean, if you look at, and I know we can't, you know, take a lot of information from bodybuilders who are on drugs and have amazing genetics. But if you look at them, they, they all eat a low fat diet when they're eating carbs. They're not stuffing down, you, you know, like you said, butter in their coffee. You're eating tons of, of, um, nuts all day. You know, people get a little too caught up, I think, in, in the paleo thing or the high fat, low carb thing. And that, that kind of backfires. If, if you really want to pack on size, you're going to need carbs. And to do that, you got to track your, your macros and make sure your, your fat intake is low. And then so, so you know, a guy like me might only need 27, 2800 calories, maybe 3000 calories a day to gain size. Whereas back in the day, you used to just pound down 5000. You just end up getting fatter. Because you got to realize, too, that you're not going to be able to, unless you're a newbie and you're young, you're not going to pack on size that quickly. You know, a, a pound a week is awesome if you're a beginner, but it, it ends up being more like a pound, a pound and a half, maybe two pounds a month, you know, once you get beyond those awesome newbie gains. So you got to keep it, keep it all in perspective. 
and then definitely keep some conditioning in there all the time. You don't want to do zero conditioning and just bulk up and then we decide to get lean, you start doing conditioning. That doesn't work either. You're just going to lose too much muscle. So you want to always keep the conditioning in there, which will help you tolerate the carbs better and improve your insulin sensitivity. For me, I, I recommend high or low. I don't like the medium intensity cardio, which is typically what most people do, where it's kind of hard, but it's not sprint hard. Yep. And you're going it's like 30 the, the no man's land. <laughs> exactly. It's, yeah, it's the no man's land. And that does increase your cortisol and does kind of lead to muscle breakdown. So I like either low intensity, basically walking, which you can do as much as you want. You know, you can you go for a walk for an hour a day if you want first thing in the morning. That's a good idea. And then high intensity interval training is, you know, sprints. You can do sprints on a bike, sprints up a hill, sprints with a sled. You can do kettlebell swings, things like that. I, I tend to really prefer hill sprints or uh, sled sprints more than anything else, any other method. I find them very effective. If you have knee issues, stick with pushing a sled or doing them on a bike. A bike you know, Try different bikes because some bikes will bother your knees, some won't, uh, versus sprinting. If you have knee issues, you don't want to sprint that much because it is hard on your body. But one to two days a week in general through a mass building phase is a good idea. And you, you only need to go about 12 to 20 minutes on those. And then once you switch over to a phase where you want to get lean, you can increase that to a little bit longer, maybe go as much as 30 minutes and do about three of those sessions a week. But yeah, I think that covers basically how to, how to stay lean during a bulk up phase. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And Gary, had uh, he turned me on to the Aerodyne Assault Bike. Love it, love it. Oh, man, you, you go three minutes hard on that thing and your lungs are burning. You feel like your, your heart's going to jump out of your chest. It's actually the complete antithesis of a stationary bike, which right. you feel like you could do all day and not really get tired. You get on that Airdyne bike and it's like, it feels like you're doing burpees. And, and I don't know about you, but that feels really good on my knees. There's some stationary bikes that really bother my knees, but the Airdyne feels fantastic. Yeah, it's it's amazing. You have some really interesting recommendations that you've used to build more effective relationships and connections with other people, and that they range from how to remember people's names to to really just how to how to connect and the mindset that you bring to interactions. Could you share a couple of those for people that are also looking to improve that area of their lives? Sure, yeah. But one of the things I didn't like about my life when I realized I had to change it was that I really didn't have a ton of meaningful relationships. I had people that I hung out with, but th- there was no meaningful relationships. And when I, when I started looking at, at my successful friends and successful people that I wanted to be like that I didn't even know, maybe celebrities or whatnot or people in positions of power, I noticed they had meaningful relationships and I, and I really wanted that. So my, my first step was, was reading How to Win Friends and Influence People. And one of the rules from that book is that the sweetest sound to any person is that of their own name. So when someone introduces themselves to you, immediately associate their name in your head with someone famous. So let's say your name is Anthony. You say, hey, I'm Anthony. And I immediately say, Anthony Bourdain. I don't know. In my head, that was the first name that came that, to me. That was the first name that popped in my head too, ironically. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> so yeah, and then you sit, you repeat their name immediately. So you ask... What I do is, is almost weird in a way, but I pretend that I didn't hear them. If you say Anthony, I say oh, Anthony, just just a question with a question mark, and then I repeat their name two or three times throughout that set, uh, interaction, and then say, "All right, Anthony, nice meeting you." So I so I kind of just lock it in through the power of repetition, 
right then and there. And that just makes you stand out because people don't say your name enough and people don't remember your name enough. And whenever you see someone and they remember your name, it just feels good and you just look at that person differently. So remembering your name is, is, is important. Rule number one in life, I think, is always follow up. So pe two people will meet and rarely does anyone ever follow up. That's just not, not just a rule of business. That's a rule of building relationships. And I have a lot of friends that will tell you funny stories about how I followed up so much that it freaked them out, but now they're some of my best friends. Like my friend Jay was telling a story when we were out the other night about how he thought that I either wanted to date him or I was a stalker or something because <laughs> I was following up so much and he just wasn't used to it. And we had just randomly met one day in town, just two strangers, and uh, we, we hit it off, so we exchanged numbers. And it, it was just, people just aren't used to it, but that's a developed relationship. I mean, I'm, I'm at a point now where, 10 years ago, when I moved into my mom's, I really couldn't think of one person that I would call a really good, close friend. Uh, and if you said, who's your best friend? I'd say, I don't know. I just have a few people that I hang out with. But now I have five or six people that anyone would be lucky to call their best friend. They're just amazing people. And I have probably another six people who are really tight in my inner circle that I'm just so blessed to have. And that was only through me pursuing that, always following up, always sending them text messages and saying, I'm thinking about you or I miss you or how's everything, always sending handwritten notes, always calling, and then always taking it upon myself to be the one who makes plans. Don't expect anyone else to make plans. So always gather the guys to go, go to a game together. You, you're the one who organizes getting tickets. You're the one who organizes joining a flag football league with the guys, who organizes a trip to go hiking, whatever it is. I never put the ball on someone else's court. I always take the reins and make sure that I'm the one who's doing things. And what that does kind of is a twofold thing there. It helps you develop your leadership skills, which is important in anything you do in life and in business. So just kind of be the leader amongst your friends. Be the one to suggest things. Don't ask where they want to go because people are indecisive and they have to make decisions all day. You just say, we're going to go to Boa Steakhouse tonight at 7. I'll meet you guys there. So just, just small things like that. You talked about eye contact and, and some exercises with saying hi to people. I, I think I, that was some stuff that I'd learned from you. Yeah, ba basically just if it's unnatural to you, which it was unnatural to me, I just forced myself to do it. So if you're small and weak, it's unnatural to go into the gym, put weight on the bar and squat it, but you force yourself to do it. So when I leave the house in the morning, my goal would be you know, a lot of people say, oh, I don't know what my, what my mission in life should be. Or, and then they get too caught up in that about what their purpose is. So when that's the situation, I tell someone, hey, here's your purpose. When you leave the house in the morning, try to make everyone you meet feel like the most important person in the world. Get out of your own head. Don't be so internally focused about what you have to do or what's wrong with you or how you can get better or whatever it is. And be externally focused. Be the one person who always makes eye contact with everybody. And as soon as you lock eyes with someone, give them a nod, give them a smile, say hi, set a goal of giving three compliments a day to people. It can be people you know or it can be strangers, just someone in, in the checkout line at CVS, say, I like your watch or I like your earrings. Just get used to it and then it becomes so easy. At first, it's going to be really weird for you. It's going to be really uncomfortable and weird, but it's just like anything new that you do. If you, if you first started playing the guitar your fingers hurt all the time and it's weird and it's uncomfortable, but eventually your body adapts and this is no different. 
So always be the person to engage people. Say hi, make eye contact, give compliments, break the ice, follow up. Just always take control and, and do that kind of stuff. And then be aware when you're talking to people of your posture and kind of the signals you're giving off. And be aware of how they're reacting to you because you might not be letting them talk enough. You might not be pausing between sentences enough. And you may lose people. So be aware of that too. Don't just be up there performing a, a monologue. You know, give people uh, a chance to go back and forth and, and just be aware of things all the time. I, I think a lot of people go through life just without a, a high enough level of awareness to what's going on. And when, once you kind of wake up and are more aware, you'll see the vast array of possibilities that, that are there for you, how much better life could be. Yeah, it was, that, was, that was one of the most interesting changes that happened with me when when I started implementing some of this stuff that that you teach was you know you had said something along the lines of if some if you say something and and the person you're talking to says you fucked up right <laughs> you weren't talking loud enough you weren't projecting so then that became a trigger where if I was talking to someone and they said what I was like you fucked up dude speak up <laughs> and right. um and you start noticing those situations whereas in the past that probably happened I don't know how many times, but probably frequently. And it, it never was even in my conscious awareness. And then right, the, the, right. the other thing is like you start – like I wanted to get better at eye contact, right? So I started um, intentionally making eye contact with people and trying to be more present and meditating to help with that. And it, it like activates your brain where you start noticing other people that are good at it and you, you learn from them. You're like, what are they doing that makes them so good at that. Like I was watching an interview with um, Lynn Manuel Miranda, the guy that the composer behind Hamilton, okay. and uh, that stars in it. And he was on there with Jimmy Fallon, and he was so engaged and present and externally focused. Just like you could tell, he was like hanging on every word Jimmy Fallon said, and yet his jokes were just rolling off the tip of his tongue because he was right there in the moment. He wasn't thinking about how does this suit look on me? Am I am I doing well in this interview? He was like making sure that Jimmy Fallon felt good on his own show. And I was like, man, that guy's that guy's doing it. What what oh, is what is awesome. he doing right that I can learn from you know and your brain starts paying attention to that stuff when it becomes an intention of yours to improve. Yeah, I love that. Awesome, man. Well, I, I mean, I've learned a tremendous amount from you over the past decade, and um, I've, I've bought I don't know half a dozen to a dozen of your products, starting with oh, Fit, fit so to much. Fight way back in the day, and you've got products on how to eat healthy when you're on the road and how to you know, build muscle and burn fat and tons of good stuff. What, what are you working on right now? That, and where can people follow what you're up to and, and check out some of the stuff that uh, you've got coming out this year? Right now, we're just re redoing my main site, my membership site. So my main site is just my name. It's jasonferugia.com. And because that's long and hard to spell, you can type in renegadefitness or renegadestrengthcoach.com, which will redirect you there. Membership site is renegadestrengthclub.com. Like I said, we're updating all that stuff and coming out with a new program. We're going to be coming up with an updated new uh, meal plan and, and nutrition guide. And I think those are the main things right now. And then I'll be increasing the frequency of my podcast, which is the Jay Ferrugia Show. You can go to jayferrugiashow.com or on iTunes to check that out. And then you can also follow me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook at Jason Ferrugia. Awesome. And, and do you have, um, are you going to be doing some of those, some more of those breakthrough events this year? You and I were talking a little bit earlier. There, there are a bunch of things this year 
that I'm going to do a little bit less of. Uh, so we probably won't have quite as many events this year just because I have some more important things that I need to get done and finish. But we'll definitely have at least three events this year. And then in 2017 and beyond, we'll have several events each year. I'm not exactly sure how many yet, but we're going to ramp those up for sure. Very cool. Well, I, I had a blast at, at the breakthrough event that I attended and, and learned a tremendous amount and give it, give it my full endorsement along with every one of your products. I appreciate it. Thank you. Absolutely. I, I've had a blast, um, learned a lot, had fun. You're, you're a great man and uh, you've been very generous with your time and I appreciate that, Jason. Thank you. Uh, thank you, my friend. Appreciate you. <laughs> All right, brother. Well, have a great day. Enjoy the, the weather out there in sunny Santa Monica and I will talk to you soon. Right, this episode is brought to you by the Kangen SD501 Platinum Water Machine. The Kangen Water Machine produces ionized, alkaline, and acidic waters through a process called electrolysis. And these waters can be used for various purposes, including drinking, cooking, beauty, cleaning, and improving your health and optimizing your energy and focus. Kangen machines are utilized by everyone from Bill Gates to Barack Obama, Demi Moore, Brad Pitt, Beyonce, Tiger Woods, Oprah Winfrey, Angelina Jolie, Julia Roberts, Leonardo DiCaprio, Jennifer Lopez, Donald Trump, Madonna, Jack Nicholson, Robert Downey Jr. The list goes on and on. And it's one of the secrets to many people's success and energy and overcoming some of the chronic degenerative conditions we face today. I've heard stories of people getting off of dozens of prescription medications simply by drinking this Kangen alkaline water. And the results that I've experienced from my Kangen SD501 Platinum have been profound. We all know that we're supposed to drink more water, right? But the problem is that most of the time when people start to implement that advice, they're drinking the wrong types of water. And this can actually do more harm than good. For example, over 315 different chemicals have been identified in American tap water. And if you're taking the next step and you're trying to perhaps make a wiser decision by drinking bottled water instead, well... The minimum required standard for bottled water is that it just has to be as good as tap water. So you may still be exposed to all of those same chemicals, not to mention the fact that bottled water is photodegradable, meaning if it comes in these plastic water bottles and is exposed to sunlight, which is almost an inevitability, that plastic is going to start breaking down. And even if it's BPA-free plastic, you're still going to be exposed to a number of different plastic-based chemicals that provide unwanted health consequences. So it's very important to intelligently choose the source of our water, and that's one of the reasons that I use the Kangen SD501 Platinum. In a recent interview, Barack Obama's cardiologist, Gerald Bresnahan, who was also cardiologist to President Reagan, Clinton, Bush, the Queen of England, and the Pope, said the following, quote, we have understood the importance of alkalizing diets for decades, but we've been unsuccessful in getting our patients to eat a perfectly alkaline diet because we cannot eat enough alkaline foods to keep our body alkaline. To have something that changes the pH of the body from acid to alkaline based on something we are already doing, that is drinking water, we can get people alkaline very easily. Hundreds of thousands of our patients have seen remarkable results from drinking Kangen medical grade drinking water. We are doing our part to bring this technology to the medical community in the United States because Kangen water is already a medical device in Japan. This is going to be a great thing for everyone and will change the lives of millions of people. And once again, that's Dr. Gerald Bresnahan, 
cardiologist to the presidents. When my clients come in for weekend intensives, I help them hyperhydrate using Kangen 9.5 pH water, and many of them feel an a benefit almost immediately. It is a bit pricey, but I promise you there is no better investment you can make in your health than ensuring the quality of water you drink is of the highest standard and is effectively going to be able to transport across cellular membranes. So if you're interested in checking out and learning more about the Kangen water machine, I encourage you to go to www.biohackingsecrets.com forward slash Kangen. That's biohackingsecrets.com forward slash K-A-N-G-E-N to learn more about SD501 Platinum and the benefits it can provide to you and your family. Today's episode is brought to you by the New Calm. The New Calm is a clinical system designed to help your mind and body relax naturally within minutes. Designed by neuroscientist Dr. Blake Holloway as a way to treat patients with post-traumatic stress disorder, New Calm works by using biochemistry, physics, and neurophysiology to rapidly and reliably relax brain and body functions. So there are no side effects and there is no recuperative time or supervision needed. The entire system is based around four key components that work in synergy to bring you into a deep state of calm. It only takes a few minutes to administer these steps and you'll begin to feel relaxed almost immediately. Step one involves topical cream or chews that are neuromodulators and help to increase levels of relaxing, calming neurotransmitters in the body. Step number two are microcurrent stimulation patches, which are placed behind the ear and have been shown to help facilitate the relaxation response and increase uptake of the cream and supplements by the frontal cortex. Step three are headphones. These are noise-softening headphones playing relaxing music that can help bring your brain wave pace to pre-sleep stages. It utilizes frequency-following response or audio entrainment. Many of you may be familiar with binaural beats, all similar technologies, but this is next-level stuff. And step number four is the eye mask, a light-blocking eye mask that helps the patient or the end user to avoid visual stimulation and maintain their relaxed state. I've used the new comb for months and had incredible results. Patients have come to me experiencing panic disorders, anxiety attacks, and everything in between, and we're able to bring them back to a calm, relaxed, focused state almost instantly. It's pretty miraculous and impressive technology. So if you're interested, I highly recommend checking out the New Calm. You can go to newcalm.com. That's N-U-C-A-L-M.com to learn more.